Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. It is a very special signing day edition of the BCJ Podcast. I am joined right now by Shane Kinney. Uh, we will be joined shortly by Dave Simone. And then before we get done with this uh, grand production, we will be joined by Justin Berg to talk a little basketball at the back end. But first, being that it is a signing day special, we've got two very special guests to start off the show. And the two uh, big local names that signed with Cincinnati this morning in Josh Wiley and Malik Van. Gentlemen, welcome in. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. I'm good. All right. What was, uh, we'll, we'll start with Josh. Josh, what was today like? What, what was the, the experience of signing that thing, sending it in, and, and knowing the process is over and you're going to be a Bearcat? Um, it was definitely cool because, um, I mean, since my freshman year, I've always watched. Um, I've been lucky, actually. Like, LaSalle has produced a lot of guys uh, to play at the next level. And uh, I've always seen them sign. I've always seen this day um, for the older guys. And um, I've, I've always wondered how it was going to be, but today I got a little taste myself. Um, and it was definitely it was definitely pretty cool, um, especially to do it with these guys and their recruiting class. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to start this thing off at UC. Malik, how was it for you? Obviously, uh, with, with Jack the Giant uh, also signing, there was a, a lot of commotion around your event today. But what was it like for you to make it official? Uh, so good to finally be signed and not having not having to deal with uh, other coaches texting and calling all the time. And um, it was just it was a great day. Just like Josh said, I had seen it for some of the older guys and. Um, it's just great to finally be a part of it. Uh, it was just a lot more people than I expected there because of uh, Jack's announcement, but it was still a pretty cool event, and hopefully the guys after me can do the same. Now, uh, you opened the door. I'm going to walk through it. Uh, you don't have to name specifics, but but how hectic was it all the way to the end? How many were, – were there schools still trying to get involved and, and trying to make a push all the way up to the end of the process? Uh, yeah, there's definitely were schools like all throughout December and in November. Coaches were uh, texting me trying to get me to come for official visits, and um, I just told them no. I'm solid on my commitment. I was never going to waver on my commitment, and you uh, Cincinnati was my home, so never thought I'd leave it for anything else. Josh, I'm sure that was the same for you as well. That the phone never really stopped ringing. Uh, honestly, um, you're wrong. Like. I it, it I haven't talked to a coach um, in a long time. Uh, <laughs> I, I shut it down pretty early, so um, I think all of them knew that. And I I told my what uh, style coaches that um, I don't I don't want to talk to anybody when they come in. Um, they knew I was solid, so um, I think they just kind of gave up on me. But I mean, I was living the life for a while and like <laughs> Malik. Shane, you got anything for these guys? Uh, yeah, so we'll start with Josh. So. You know, the staff has continued to preach and say, you know, that this isn't just a one, you know, cycle thing, that this is, you know, it, it's a movement, you know, that it's not just one class. You know, it, it's something that's big that's coming to Cincinnati. And, you know, Luke Fickle has been the guy in front of that. So, you know, how much have you guys bought into that, Josh? Um, I mean, I guess we've bought in a lot. I mean, it's, it's – I think – the next class is going to come a lot from us as it did um, from the class before us. I mean, just talking with, um, I mean, personally, Jarrell, um, just talking with those guys and 
um, I saw an interview also with Jalen Miner that he he was saying something like, um, it's going to be amazing to see how these young guys change the program because um, we're going to get classes like this uh, for the next couple of years and we're really going to switch it around. Um, I mean, we've I've already we've already seen we were talking about it um, earlier. We all went all the local guys went out to eat. Um, and we were talking about how um, recruiting has already picked up again. Um, one, it's just like uh, end of one class and right after it starts with a new one. So, um, I mean, there's no break. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see who we can bring in with this class. Malik, what about you? I completely forgot the question. I don't know why it's you. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, that's fine, man. So, you know, like, you know, like Luke has told you guys numerous times in that, and, you know, that it's not just a class, you know, this isn't just the 2018 class, but it's a movement to get, you know, local guys and guys who like you are both the prime examples of guys who turned down major offers to go to Cincinnati to stay home and build some, you know, how much have you guys, or for you bought into that, you know, movement or that, you know, concept? Yeah, I bought into it uh, a little bit after Wiley did and talking to him and Blake about it and how sure they were and then talking to Jarrell about it right before he committed and he signed and just wanting to be a part of something with the guys I play with and the guys I play against and have played against since I was little and just giving something back to our community, something that they can be excited for and all come out and be uh, happy for a few seasons, if not hopefully tens of seasons with Coach Fickle there and uh, hopefully we can get it done with our class and the classes after us with bringing in the local guys and yeah. putting ourselves yeah. on the national stage. So I got more of a specific question for each of you. Malik, this one's for you. So there's this iconic picture from the spring game and it's when you and Luke are sitting there. Well, not sitting, you're standing there in the field and it's, you guys are talking. Now you don't have to give me the specifics of that conversation, but you know, what was that like and you know, how much did a coach, you know, talking to you during a spring game, taking his time or taking time to not talk to his team and not get ready for a spring game to talk to you? Uh, I had actually asked Coach Rothfeld, um, can I go and talk to him real quick? And uh, that's that picture right there is actually when I committed to UC. Um, and then I announced it that Monday following. Okay, so and then Josh. I'm going to get – I know a lot of people are going to be upset at me if I don't ask you this. We um, covered this pretty well when you told us a few – I think it was a few months ago that Urban Meyer came to your school. He's the head man. He's pretty you know, well-known around the college football and recruiting world. And the rumor is that you told us that you told Urban Meyer knowing that you were solid with Cincinnati. How uh, – and, fa- and, and, and fans love you for that. And they just think it's an interesting story. You know, what's the truth to that? And, you know, what what was that like, you know, to tell such a, you know, figure, no, I'm with Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely – I mean, it's a little intimidating uh, because, uh, I mean, I I remember calling him uh, a couple of days before uh, I committed, and he was just like, you're turning – an Ohio kid is turning down Ohio State over Cincinnati. And I was like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> my dream school. Um, but, yeah, he did come into school. Um, and my coach knew that uh, I was solid with Cincinnati. So he, I mean, he obviously backed me up a little bit because, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, he didn't want like urban trying to convince me otherwise, but I told him, I was like, I'm solid with UC. I mean, I'm not going to be taking any other visits. Um, so he, uh, he won't be expecting me up there, uh, anytime soon. Um, 
But yeah, I think I mean I think it's kind of funny. Me and Malik don't have a really good relationship with Urban, so. Uh, <laughs> Malik, uh, you mentioned Jarrell. I'm just curious. Was it big? How big was he as that first guy, that first hometown guy that said, "I'm going to stay here"? And did that show you guys that you know it's all right? We can all do this together and, and make Cincinnati back into what it used to be. Yeah, it it did. Uh, just talking to Joe and seeing how solid he was with the program and how much he loved like Sickle. and I like the mental house then too. Seeing how much he believed in Freeman and what he was saying, and it just showed us that you can turn down national offers and uh, build something with your guys, and don't be afraid to be different to build rather than uh, tag on to a program that's already thriving and building that's already built. Was it was it uh, impactful at all to see that he was out there as a freshman and running around and making plays and, and being a guy that right away made an impact? Yeah, it was. Because uh, I know they played a lot a lot of freshmen on the defensive side of the ball or a lot of young guys on that side of the ball. And uh, just seeing him out there, talking to us, and he talked to us, he was like, make sure you like practice hard, come ready to work every day because that's how you get evaluated. And that's how he ultimately, ultimately ended up starting Western practice, so... Just watching him uh, ball out this season was uh, was great, and I can't wait to do so with Josh and the other guys when we get down there. Josh, I know being in school with them every day, he had to be in your ear constantly about joining them, wasn't he? Oh, man, he didn't believe it uh, when I did commit. But, um, I mean, one of the things that I found pretty cool with Joe was um, like, if you ever talked to him before he committed, um, he was kind of a guy like, um, I don't know, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but like, kind of for himself. Um, but once he met the new coaching staff, like Fickle, uh, Freeman, and all those guys, uh, I mean, it was completely different. He was I asked him straight up, I was like, why'd you come to UC? And he said, um, I mean, have you met the coaching staff? I was, I was like, not all of them, but uh, I'm getting there. So it was just kind of really cool to um, hear him say that. Um, and, yeah. Uh, so you got to uh... – Position group-wise, you got to hang out with Dylan O'Quinn for a little bit uh, when, when you guys were on your official visit. Now, he might move inside a little bit. You might end up playing next to him. But what was that bond like, getting to meet him and talk to him and, and get to know each other? Yeah, it was, it was definitely cool. Because um, that was actually the first time I, I really uh, met him. Um, he's from up north. Um, but it was definitely cool just um, seeing meeting a guy that uh, will be in the same classroom with me um in the next four the next four years of my life so uh, it was cool to see him and meet all the other new guys um that'll be my teammates here shortly Malik t- tell us about that official visit weekend what was that like everybody being together everybody hanging out I know you guys uh, had some fun at the bowling alley and and you know just kind of getting to to know everybody on that personal level oh, it was good finally being able to uh, talk to all the guys and being in one place and going out and being with the current players and just having a good time and uh it i feel like it like helped us a lot more so we all get to see each other instead of just texting or playing uh, video games with each other online and um i got to get to know deshaun martin a lot better and uh got to get to know jeremy jeremy cooper and uh darnell shields a lot better too so uh, it helped us all grow as teammates moving on uh, into the future and i can't wait to be with them Josh, who's the best video gamer of the bunch? Are you are you in on that? Oh, oh no, me. that's not me. I'm not. <laughs> well, I think Malik takes that. That's not me. Who's the best, Malik? Me. 
You? What? <laughs> what? All, what all do you guys play? Play Madden 2K. I'm undefeated. I even beat uh Derek Forrest in Madden 21. Them. <laughs> so hey, Malik. So there's there's some like stuff between you and Deshaun, and Deshaun made it pretty clear to me that you know it's not just gonna because you told me that it was luck that Deshaun ended up beating you when you guys were split up into groups, and you know other than you and Deshaun, you know obviously I think it was uh, Coach Freeman who dominated everybody, but you two were kind of battling for second. So what do you got to say to him for what do you got to say when you guys you know meet up again and finally end up playing bowl end up bowling together? Like he wants to prove it. Like this man is this. He was the luckiest bowler I've ever seen. <laughs> like he, like on the first roll, he got it was for like three straight uh, rows. The first row, he like got a gutter. The next row, he got a spare. And I'm over. And I, got, I like, I really got mad at that. I'm like, bro, like you are the luckiest bowler I've ever seen in my life. The next, <laughs> the next round, he got one pin and then got a spare. Then he got one pin again and got another spare. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm not going to win after this. <laughs> I, I will say after the cookout, I'll crown Josh the best cornhole player of the bunch, though. That's right. Oh no, no, Will Huber. Uh, him and Will Huber—they were dominant. Him and Will Huber. That's right. We didn't even get any Freeman lost too. one time. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't lose at all. What are you talking about? No, you did lose because they made you, you lose. lose to Blake? No, no, they made him lose to Ben Bryant, didn't they? They asked you to throw that one, didn't they? Oh, <laughs> uh, you're talking. You're, wait, what? No, no, no. You're, are you talking about how I switch teams? I, I, I we, don't gotta, we don't got to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and Will Huber were definitely the uh, the stars of the uh, the cookout in cornhole. Uh, but That's right. I, I appreciate it, fellas. Congratulations. Uh, welcome into the Bearcat family. The good news is now you don't have to deal with Shane anymore. You get to deal with me once practice starts. <laughs> my God! <laughs> hey, no, hey, hey, hey! We've all we've all gotten pretty close, though. You know, you know, it's easy playing. to relate with these guys. <laughs> all right, fellas, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on signing, and uh, we're the, the the Bearcat Nation is looking for big things from you guys when you get on campus. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We'll talk all to right, you soon. Good. Once again, that's yeah. LaSalle tight end Josh Wiley and Fairfield defensive lineman. Malik Van and uh, special thanks to those guys for coming on with us, Shane. I know you've had uh, a lot of dealing with those two uh, over the years and, or over the year, and uh, you, you won't find two nicer kids than those two. They've been fantastic on our side to deal with uh, as we, you know, work through that recruiting process. And, and neither of them ever wavered. That's the the amazing part. Two kids that talented. Once they made their commitment, that was it. They were locked up. Yeah, those two. It's not even those two. I mean, those two are you know at the top of the list when it comes to you know relationships with the kids and you know talking and having and having fun. You know, you know doing what I do with them. But it's the whole. I continue to say this that this whole 2018 cycle, this whole 2018 cycle is special. As Dave interrupts me, but they're talented. And Josh and Malik, when they committed, they knew they wanted to go to UC and there were rumors of major schools coming after Malik, Wisconsin towards the end of, towards the end of the cycle. And Josh, Ohio state was always around and, you know, Kentucky made somewhat of a late push, but they want to go to Cincinnati. Those are the type of guys you want to build your program with. And especially to get a full cycle and Luke fickles first, first full recruiting cycle. These are the guys you want. As we welcome in Dave Simone, you heard him pop in with a hello there. Hi, David. How are you? 
Wonderful, Chad. How are you? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Just talked to Malik and Josh. Got them a little trash talking about video games and cornhole and bowling and uh, <laughs> lots of good stuff. So uh, let's get into the class as a whole, Dave. And I think for me, the thing that, that is most impressive and, and that stands out by far the most is the average score of this class is an 84. And if you go back a year, three years, five years, 84 was generally like the top guy in the class. And now 84 right. is the average score. That blows me away what Pickle and his staff have done on that end. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think this is the first time since we've been on the 24-7 network if you take out Mets for the, you know, I'm not sure how they really can rank him one way or the other, but um, I think it's the first time they've also not had any recruit or any signee in the 70s. So the top end's getting higher and the bottom end's, you know, also being raised. So, you know, that first six guys that you look at, Wiley Van, Michi Harris, Arquan Bush, Ben Bryant, Charles McClendon, those are like you know, all you could throw Deshaun Martin in there as well, all eighty fives and higher and and guys that before we'd have been like, you know, that's great, you know, that's kind of the, the benchmark player in the class and now that's you know, that's seven guys that, you know, you can do that in one year. I mean you know, everyone's very excited but they still only had one year to recruit these guys, basically. Right. And most everybody else was recruiting their players for, you know, at least a year and a half to two years once they really started making the connections. I mean, some of our coaches obviously knew who those guys were, but they weren't recruiting them for UC. So the 2019 class is really the first time this group of coaches will be on even footing, so to speak, with everybody else that they'll be recruiting against. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a, a big part of it is developing those relationships. And, and they worked in hyperdrive. And I, I think people got a little spoiled at first because everything happened so fast in the beginning. Uh, and then it was kind of spread out over time after that. But they continued to land high-quality kids. And it's just it's a testament to each of these guys that are on staff their ability to get their foot in the door and also the ability of Luke Fickle to not only be a closer, but to be involved. And I think, you know, I've been doing this a long time um, on the basketball side and, and have been helping out and been around the football side for a long time. I think for kids, it's a huge deal, man. When, when the, the head coach isn't just the closer or isn't just the guy that, you know, you, you meet the first, when he comes to your school and then you see him next time on your official visit, Shane, Luke Fickle was was regularly in contact with these kids, and uh, you've got to think for a lot of them, and that means a lot because it shows you the, the importance that the program places on them when the head coach has taken time out of his day to contact you. Yeah, I mean, it's every it's every single commit that I've talked to when they committed. It's Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle. I sat in an office with Fickle, or I was on the phone with Fickle, and he convinced me and made me feel wanted, and he, sh- and he was a great leader and all that, and it's just – it's just, I think it's different. It really is. You know, Cincinnati, it's a group effort when they get kids on visits. It's a, it's a group effort, you know, when they go see kids because it's not just they're building a relationship with a position guy or, or a regional recruiter. They're building a relationship with the entire staff. 
and it's not just their position coach. It's fickle. If you're a running back, it's fickle. It's Gino. It's it's everybody, and it's it's something that I think is different from what I've had to cover and I've seen most guys. Normally, it's the head coach and one other guy, but sometimes it's three different guys or four different guys from the UC staff, and and I think that's part of the reason they were able to get. I will touch on this later. Is they're able to get Michi Harris? Is they just continued? It was a group effort from the commits, and it was a group effort from the coaching staff, and it was four different coaches, and, and you know it was Gino, it was Fickle, it was Denbrock, it was Phillips, it was everybody. Yeah, Joker was his lead, but everybody was uh, <clears throat> very aggressive on Michi Harris. Let's talk about that, Dave. Your 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 takeaway. Uh, I posted it on the board for those those that don't know. I was down at. Um, at basketball practice on Monday, and I got the text from the seventh floor that Michi had flipped, and I was like, I'll be up in a minute. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it, it was one of those that – and you knew that they had stayed involved, but they just kept pushing and kept pushing and and kept plugging away. And, and at the end of the day, Dave, that, that relationship, that feeling he had being around Cincinnati was what swung him towards the Bearcats. Right, and I think – you know, I think it's – too early to say, you know, best or most important or whatever, but I do think in this case, that was a huge flip for them, just in the sense of the of the position and the player and the, you know, he is an instant impact, big, fast, strong wide receiver, and that is exactly what they needed. And, you know, we can get into positional breakdowns later if, if we do, but like, they had to address that type of player in this class. So, you know, it was a very, very important get for them. And, you know, granted, it's a slip from Kentucky, which we'll all like and laugh about and, and whatever. But just getting that guy, to me, it doesn't matter if it was a slip for an uncommitted player. Like, that's the type of guy they had to get. And, like, I think the wide receiver position group as a whole, I really like what they did. But getting Michi, getting another local guy, getting a third top 20 player from the state of Ohio, you know, getting a guy that was committed to an SEC school right up till the very end and that they didn't want to lose, no matter what they say or what jokes we make about him not being a take or whatever. Like, they didn't want to lose him. Right. And, and they – couldn't keep him from visiting UC and they couldn't keep him from flipping. And that is, you know, all credit goes to the staff, the other recruits that Shane wrote about, like those are the type of guys that I think in next year's class, that's going to be the norm. Like if this class with a year's worth of work could be, you know, in the mid 84 player rating, why can't next year's class be in the mid-86, 87 player rating? Like, it's a progression. And when you do it, building it off of a poor on-the-field season, and if you can take that next step and you can sell that to the next recruit, like, see, we've had two recruiting classes. We're getting better. You can come in. You still have a shot to play. We need you. We can keep getting better. I mean, like, I just don't think that that that's not a, you know that's not not possible if that makes sense. No, I, but I, I agree. Dave, da- go ahead, Shane. Dave, dad, on to your point. They did it. They've always preached recruiting Ohio, and they did it with a in a down year for recruiting in Ohio. To be honest, 
there are a lot of guys who weren't academic eligible. It wasn't as deep as it, as it has been in years, and they were able to put together this type of class, mainly of Ohio guys, when it wasn't quite that good of a year for in-state recruiting. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Urban Meyer today talked about, you know, was disappointed they only, I think, ended up with four guys from Ohio, and he did mention that, you know, that some of them having some academic concerns. But for UC, we know, everybody knows who comes in here to recruit. The whole Big Ten, you know, if they're an elite player, everybody, obviously. But, I mean, the whole Big Ten – a lot of the SEC, a lot of the ACC, they're all coming into Ohio. And for UC to get seven of the top 50 players in the state. And Basevich is 55. 24-7. <laughs> What's that? And Basevich is 55. Like, basically eight of the right. top 50 guys. Yeah. It is eight. For them to get seven, and for no one else to get more, Michigan State also got seven. Uh, I mean, it just it shows you that the plan is working from a recruiting standpoint. Now it just, you need to just increase that talent, develop that talent and, you know, show it on the field. Absolutely. Let's, um, I think the biggest thing, Dave, this team needed was playmakers on offense. I don't think that was any surprise. They they need guys that can, can catch a pass and make a play and, or, or take a run. You know, they've got, you know, Obviously, with Mike Warren and, and Jared Dokes, they've got two solid backs. But there's not a lot of home run hits we saw last year on this offense. And you add Wiley and you add Harris, Ben Bryan, a quarterback, McClellan, and Ryan Montgomery, and Alec Pierce, and uh, Jay Sean Jackson, 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 Jackson. Yanez Rogers. You know, they, they took that to heart, and they were aggressive in trying to find guys that are going to be able to make plays on offense. And I think they did an excellent job at it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what we kind of talked about at the end of the season, leading up to recruiting. And I just said playmakers in general. I didn't even characterize it as offense, defense. But, specific, I mean, if we're going to talk offense now, then yes. I love the three receivers because I think you get a little bit of everything and they need a little bit of everything. And I'm – you know, I like Ben Bryant for whenever he develops and we see him. And I think Wiley is a nice addition. But, yeah, they had to do something. We, you don't know where exactly Rodgers is going to slide in, but he's obviously a playmaking athlete, whether it's a quarterback, wide receiver, who knows what it is. But, yeah, I mean, you you can't average 20 points a game in college football and, and beat anybody – worth a damn so you can have the best defense and you can go ground and pound and that'll never work at uc because they're just never going to get that type of player but yeah i mean they that had to have been the number one goal so to speak was just increasing the overall playmaking ability of the skilled players and as a product byproduct of that you know, I, I got the question a lot last um, off season and through through uh, camp. People were asking, you know, who's going to be the guy that 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 returns kicks and punts? Who's going to be the the next for Cincinnati fans? Who's the next Marty Gilliard? Who's the next big guy back there? And I, the, my answer was, I don't think there is one because I didn't see any of those guys as guys that 
that that really had that special knack for making plays on special teams. And when you watch tape on a lot of these guys that they're bringing in, the skill guys, Arquan Bush, Ryan Montgomery. Arquan Bush, yeah. Ryan Montgomery, uh, Michi Harris, um, Jay Sean Jackson, you know, they, Hicks. Hicks, Javon Hicks. They've got some guys, Dave, now, and Shane, that, that really give you a lot of options. It's going to be really interesting to see what route that goes. I, I would guess we'll see a lot of uh, Halls back there because I think he's got some some of that potential as well. Uh, from last year's freshman class. But those guys are all going to push for time uh, on special teams, uh, making an impact, returning kicks and punts, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of those guys will get a shot. And I think the biggest need, like we've continued, like Dave said, is just to get playmakers. And But I'm really excited about Arquan Bush. I know a lot of people like to point at Malik Van and Josh Riley. And those are guys that you should point at and be like, that's a steal or those guys are going to make an immediate impact. But I think Arquan Bush, like you guys have continued to say the cornerback position and you have to have good corners. You have to have good DBs in this league in order to win, in order to compete. And Bush is exactly that. And he's a lockdown corner and he's going to make plays and he's going to make plays on special teams. And he's, he was a steal for Cincinnati that early in the process. And to get him to sign, I know there's a lot of anxiety that he won it. And then he ended up signing today. So it was a huge bonus for Cincinnati. Uh, he might be my favorite player in the class. Um, and well, that's not a for me. He's based, based on the roster and and the depth of the team. He for me would be probably the hands down most likely freshman to play. Quick. I think you could throw Michi in there too. That, that you could yeah, that wide receiver like, room. They deep. really only returned two corners that played it all this year. Yeah, I, I'm with Dave on that completely. I, yeah. I, he's got a chance if he can come in and 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 look the part uh, that you know anything close to what he looked like in high school. That kid's gonna come in and push for time right away. I, I don't I don't have any hesitation in saying that because he just when you watch him play the ball, when you watch his hips, you watch the way he moves, you watch the way he covers guys. Dave, he's got a different look to him th- than than what they've had on the roster. And that goes back to the playmaking thing. I mean, they, they basically didn't intercept a pass this year unless it was thrown right at somebody. You need somebody that can go and get the ball right. and make a play. Right. And you have – you basically just have Marquise Taylor. Marquise um, Smith. Marquise Smith. And a little bit of Christian Angulo. He saw a little bit of time, but not a lot. Christian Angulo. So – I mean, the, the opportunity is definitely there for a corner uh, to come in and, and make a, make themselves uh, known as a freshman. Dave, uh, you're a big Charles McClellan guy, are you not? I am. I just – he's, like, running that offense that he did and being as versatile and athletic as he is, I think he can be – a pretty outstanding running back when he gets behind an offensive line that you don't have to run the triple option for. Like, you usually don't run the triple option because you want to. You usually run it because you have to. Uh, he, and, he did pretty well with it. Uh, right. But I think he can be – I mean, I don't think he's going to – I mean, I doubt he plays – 
this next year when you have Warren and, and Dokes. Um, but I really like what he might project as, as a running back in a year or two. Absolutely. Shane, you got anybody that, that, that jumps out at you that you like in this class a lot? I'm going to, I mean, I have a few, I think Wiley, just because I think he was underused at LaSalle. And I don't think he even reached his potential yeah, that he has. Shane, at, you're picking the highest rated guy in the class. So, uh, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll take some. Well, Charles is like a top four, top five. Okay. So it's Bush, but you can't take the number one guy. Yeah, we think he's going to be good. He's the fine. number one guy. <laughs> fine. I'll go with the guy I've seen in person, Dylan O'Quinn. How about, how about, did you see his number today? What they number? listed him at 270 pounds already. So he's already gained 15 yeah. pounds. That kid ain't. I, when I went to when I went to see him, he, he told me he was at 255. Yeah, they li- and that was about a month and a half ago. That that like, dude ain't playing tight they end. They listed tight end. I will eat my phone if that dude plays tight end for you. <laughs> you could you could you could see in high even some of the games they only used him to block. I don't even think if I when I went to see him he even ran a pass route. He's he's na- and they just ran right behind. He's him, nasty, isn't and he? And he just moved. Pe- he moves people. I, I wish they fit- would have listed him as a jumbo athlete. I always like <laughs> that uh, that category that category for high school players. You, you know, like you're huge and you can run pretty well, and we have no idea what position you're gonna play. So we're just gonna call you a jumbo athlete. You know, I, I know there's been a lot. Let's let's talk about the offensive line here. I know there's been a lot of talk about that group um, and getting them better. Uh, I know they were very big on Jeremy Cooper throughout the process. Uh, I know from what everything I've talked to, everyone I've talked to during the season, they were blown away by the leap that Colin Woodside had made from a junior to a senior. Um, and, and that was one I think they took with a little bit. I don't want to say hesitation's not the word, but that was one that was kind of, Let's see how this kid progresses. I know they were very happy with what his senior season looked like. So you've got Cooper. You've got him. You're, we'll say O'Quinn is going to be thrown into that mix. I wouldn't roll out Lorenz Metz eventually uh, finding himself at tackle. Um, if he, if it, you know, I, I think he probably gets a look at defensive line first. But 6'9", 280-pound German. I think his I think his commitment was very under underappreciated by Cincinnati fans. He's a freak. He's six nine two eighty and has a four eight forty. Very That's not underrated for what he. It's no. He's it's. I think I, he's, I actually think he's too big to play offensive line. I said I said that too. Have you ever seen King Dunlap? I don't even know who that it's is. It's one one guy. Like you usually just don't see six. Like dude, you pretty much maxed out at like six 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 seven. Not the NFL anymore. Those guys I agree. are huge. He he put. I mean, if Mets puts his hands up, he's knocking a ton of balls down a season. I, just by putting his hands up. I think the left tackle position in the NFL has changed a lot, trending towards being guys that are six seven six eight in that range. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on either side of the ball. Wouldn't surprise me because he's a freak. So you figure out which what one he works. What if he's not done growing? What if he's not done growing? I think he's like twenty. So I think he's probably done growing. Like, what if he becomes like seven one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, remember Biggie McLean punted in high school. He was a punter, kicker. Get, get out I'm of here. I'm serious. 
<laughs> You've never heard that? That's insane. No. Yeah, Anthony McLean was a punter slash kicker in high school for his high school football team. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, talking about the offensive line. I think they're very um, happy with where they're at right now. I know they want at least one more in that position group um, to really take it to that next level, but I think they're very happy with what they've got in that, that offensive line room right, right. now. Right, and I, know. I agree with you, and I know that our fans, like, you know, because they were, you know, you always worry about – certain positions. I think for right now, the worry position for UC is offensive line, kind of a little bit based on what happened this year. But the the, the roster numbers work out. Like, people wanting them to sign, like, five or six offensive linemen, that wasn't going to happen. Like, they have the proper roster construction, so they only needed, like, three or four. We just need the guys that have been recruited lately to be good. Yeah, I just my I know Chad's always like, well, we don't care about your opinion whenever I, I make comments like this. I care about your opinion, Shane. I just like giving you a hard time. I don't care. I'm pretty I don't sure. care that much about your opinion, but I do care. Or whenever or whenever I say I assume this is what they're going to do. Yeah, I assume I, I said assume. I know it's not correct. Or I would say this is what they're going to do. But anyway, <laughs> in terms of the offensive line. I think they they are happy with what they do and. To an extent, but I think these are a lot of guys that you got to put on the shelf and develop before they're really going to make any impact, and they need an instant impact type of guy. I think Cooper might be the only guy who could come in and try to compete right now, but I think all eyes go to Nick Lewis as a guy who can come in and play right away, and a very, very needed prospect. Yeah, I, I worry about that one because he didn't sign a little bit. They, they. I mean, like, I, there's a positive and a negative to that. Yeah. He didn't sign with Washington State, but he hasn't visited there, so you wouldn't have expected him to take not take his official visit and then go ahead and sign anyway. I just think you lose some momentum, uh, Dave. You might agree with me. You might not. I, and that's the, and that's the negative to that is you lose the momentum they had I with mean, them after the official. I see it both ways, um, because if yeah, if you were able to get him to sign with UC, then yes, obviously that would have been great. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, I don't necessarily look at it as a total negative just because it just gives them more time to continue to build. And he, we know he enjoyed the visit. You almost, like, can now have, like, a mob mentality yeah. where you can, use, you can use your signed guys to, like, you know, fraternity peer pressure a dude to try to sign with you now. <laughs> like... You can be like, hey, Nick, you remember that visit when you were with all of us and how much fun you had? Well, we're all signed. Why haven't you signed? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. things that 18-year-olds things that would be susceptible to. Um, I still think they would rather, I mean, I think they would take him, obviously. But you're not getting, I don't think you're getting a true freshman offensive lineman that can play no on almost any on almost any level. There's like so eight of them in the country. I think they're going back to the uh, JUCO ranks, seeing who's available, and trying to figure it out that way. Like, well, yeah, they so haven't Tyree had much success Smith, with the Tyree JUCO route. Smith or whatever his name was, that was the number one player in the country last year. Went to Tennessee, offensive lineman, and was really good as a true freshman. 
and there ain't nobody either getting anywhere close to that. Well, like I so, said, there's there's like that, eight there's like eight of those guys in the country. Offensive yeah, linemen that can come in, yeah, they can come in and play right away. I, it, so I, I don't. Well, and I think if the the one positive to talk about the past season, I thought we saw a great deal of improvement from Ron Crook's group. So I, I'm not as I'm still concerned, but I believe with even another year, he'll have that group ready to perform to the level that they need to perform. They, they might not be, you know, the 1990 Dallas Cowboys offensive line. But I don't think it's going to be a huge uh, detriment once they get a group out there and get set with five guys that they want to play and you let these guys develop. Right. It's just Speaking. The tackles are going to be because you're replacing two guys that had pretty damn good years. Yeah. Anyway, so, so I was going to say, you know, go ahead, Dave. Did you just anyway us? No, just, no, just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. That's fine. It's amazing, Dave. I'm he's done. On, Go he's, ahead. He's on like three times. He thinks it's his podcast. Go ahead, Shane. I'm good. <laughs> anyway, speaking of developing, I think the quarterback positions got a little interesting than it was when uh, Rodgers first committed. Because I think Rodgers has developed very well. Yeah, I think he had a good during senior, a senior year. season. During his senior season, he's become more of a capable passer. But then you got Ben Bryant. I think it'll be interesting what happens there with this class. Agree. And you also, I mean, into this class, now both of those guys in all likelihood will redshirt, but they're entering into the same class with Desmond Ritter, who is a guy I know that the staff has a lot of, of, of hope for from what they saw from him running the scout team this year. So, you know, when they step onto the field for the first time, you're going to have three guys that are freshmen uh, that, that totally changed that quarterback room, I think. And, you know, I would say all signs probably point to Hayden Moore uh, having the job as a senior. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure in that room coming up from the young guys. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, we're, we got we to gotta wrap this part up and get to a little bit of basketball real quick. So, Shane, what's your, uh, what's your final takeaway from early signing day 2017-18? My final take... I think probably Yahtzee because I think that was pretty funny. I saw that on the board. That's my final take. That they t- that they stole one from Kentucky because they've. That is my final. Th- I thought that was hilarious. I saw that comment. Dave, your final takeaway. My final takeaway is now that we have this early signing day, I cannot wait to see what players get offers at schools that they normally would never, ever get offers to over the next six weeks. Like, UC is already offering guys for 2018. They just offered a Rutgers commit who didn't sign because he said his state championship went too long and he didn't get to evaluate his decision, so he's not signing with Rutgers. UC's offered him, and like 20 minutes later, Ole Miss offered him. So if you haven't signed, you're about to, like, you know, moving on up well, because you're going to be the prettiest little, little thing on the field it, <laughs> with it, most of these schools trying to fill spots it, over the next six weeks. It's going to be the spring signing period for basketball where every top 100 kid that hasn't signed now has offers from Kansas and <clears throat> North Carolina and <clears throat> down the list. You mean like the basketball player last year who was ready to sign with Eastern Kentucky and then Duke offered him? Yes, exactly like that. 
And that guy's actually like that. He's actually playing for Duke. He's their backup point guard behind Trayvon Duvall. But uh, yeah, I know. But that's like the that's like the funny thing. He went to bed thinking tomorrow I'm going to sign with Eastern Kentucky, and then he woke up and he ended up signing with Duke. What a, what a life for that guy. <laughs> the interesting thing will be this was for me. This is my takeaway. Um, year one was like the calm before the storm, I think, because now I think everybody went into this saying, let's see how this goes before we really figure out long term what this is like. And now that everybody has a taste of it and has an idea for what it is like, um, I think we'll get kind of back to normal next year uh, in terms of it being a little more wild. Because, Dave, we've done this a couple times now. Uh, that was about as tame as a signing day could possibly have ever been. Uh, all but Michi Harris was wrapped up by 11 o'clock. There was really no suspense. We knew that, that Michi had committed and was expected to sign. We knew that Mets had committed and was, was expected to sign. On our end, there was virtually no drama today. Right. Um, I, don't expect, no... I don't expect that to continue in years years in advance no because now now they'll just they'll just push push earlier into when they you know when the big schools are trying to slip or trying to get guys to take visits and so instead of that that stuff will just now start happening during the season yep no question Shane thanks a lot buddy no problem don't call no buddy no why you're not my buddy no no it's Shane I swear. Bye, Shane. That kid, I tell you what. I worry about him sometimes. I was being nice. I wasn't saying that as a bad thing. I didn't think you were. You want to stick around and talk some basketball? Let's talk some hoops. Houston's up 21 at Providence right now. Yeah, Providence. That that looked like a team that might um, be on the upswing coming into the season and injuries and poor performance has them... uh, not looking good at all. Justin Berg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. How are y'all? We're doing pretty good. What up, Bergie? Oh, just looking at uh, some of the other teams in the American, just getting caught up on some of the statistics across the board. You're doing advanced prep. Yeah, I was curious. I, I, I know the American has had a much better non-conference than last year. And uh, so I wanted to look through some of the rosters and see who's doing what. I noticed that UConn is only averaging 10 assists per game and shooting only 40%. That many? So, yeah, I yeah, know. Feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, just I, I, they said last night on the broadcast that, um, that the American has, like, the fourth most wins in the non-conference against, like, the top seven leagues, which I know is much better than last year. So, Heading into conference play in about a week and a half, uh, that's encouraging. I know it's turning the clock back a little bit, Berg. Tell me about Westwood. What what was the experience? Take us through your trip to UCLA. It was incredible. It was – I I was walking through campus to try to find the arena, and it's – it doesn't really stand out. It's just kind of behind some trees. It looks like another little building. And next thing you know, there, Oh, that's it. That's Pauly pavilion. It's just, it's really wide. It's not really tall. And so I was, I stopped outside the arena 
and was fastening my press pass to my shirt and out walks the cheerleaders and dance team coming directly towards me. And, uh, I don't, what, you know, nothing you can really do. So I had to just kind of play it off and, and look at them peripherally. But, um, I'm sure you can imagine that they were quality and, uh, High, then, highest quality. Yes. Uh, choice. Um, then, uh, I, I, you know, I went inside and, and it's, the arena itself, it's it's recently renovated, so it's state-of-the-art. Everything's updated. Everything's it's real fresh and clean and, um, you know, it also quality. So I uh, went to the, the media room, saw Horde. He's like, Berg, you made it, you know. And um, I was like, yeah, I had to come out to this one. And so then um, I went out to the, around the court. And you know how, like, like an hour before, you can just mosey around and watch the teams warm up and – saw Ruben Patterson and just taking everything in. And then I, I saw Raftery and Bill Raftery. I mean, I've been, I've been listening to Bill Raftery do the color commentating for man, since I can even remember, I mean, he's been doing biggies forever and, um, the NCAA tournament. I mean, he's just, he's the standard. He's my favorite. So I, I, I hovered in his area until he was free and, and grabbed him and, uh, you know, introduced myself and, and had a little conversation with him. I, I did tell him that he's my favorite, so I did fanboy up a little bit. And um, and I I, you know, I said, you know, do you have a read on this game? And I, he said that uh, he thought that he just wanted to see how the how our boys reacted and to the environment. And then he I said it's going to be a half court game. They haven't been executing that well. He said you you got some players over there, so he was he was confident. And um, then I found my seat. And I was up real high, didn't have the greatest view, but I could take the whole scene in. And it was tons of Bearcat fans there, so they were making plenty of noise. And then when the uh, National Anthem was about to start, and they said, and, and now singing the National Anthem, Keith Williams Jr. And uh, this guy with like a re- he was wearing red, too. I was like, uh-oh, this could be a good sign. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just uh, – it was just a special day because after, obviously, the Bearcats win the game and then I go down and do the media and um, all the players are just gathered right around that area, just like all excited. There's family, girlfriends, whatever. Everyone's just in great mood. I walked, I kind of made my way through. I saw Kane, gave him a little fist bump. Trey, same thing. Trayvon, same thing. And and then I was finishing up my article, just sitting in the uh, – media room and just it just like all hit me like I, I got a little emotional just like wow this is an incredible opportunity and you know obviously Chad very grateful that you gave me that opportunity to, to get to a point where I could be you know doing media at an event like that and especially after the Bearcats get a you know almost like a program defining win uh pro- validating win I guess you would say um for the last 12 years and yeah then I went out and had a great night in, in LA so it was uh it was definitely worth the trip. Did, were you clubbing? Did you do like the the club scene in Hollywood, Berg? <laughs> Not quite. It was more <laughs> of a uh, dive bar with a funk band, which uh, and but Berg, the night before Berg didn't I, strike me as a big EDM guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we did the uh, the comedy store, the comedy store the first night, and so saw some stand up, the world famous comedy store, and the second night, little funk band and dive bar. So that was about the extent of the. LA partying, but it was, you know, it was just great to be there and, and, and see a, a big win like that. You got me. I have a, I have a question okay. for Berg about the game. Sure. 
was UCLA as soft in person as they looked on TV? <laughs> they looked a little. They looked a little shook pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Uh, they didn't want to mix it up at all. And um, yeah, it, they just they just got rattled pretty early, and then they they were definitely confused. Um, but I did hear. I didn't. You know, I had such a. My view was so far away. I was so up high that. But people said on TV that they were throwing some elbows and some cheap shots and stuff. So I don't. Maybe they weren't as soft as. Well, but cheap shots don't make you tough, Berg. That's true. That's a good point. That's a great point. So maybe, yeah. All right. So, okay, yes. To answer your question, the short answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) This team, Berg, do you feel like that identity is finally developing? That obviously there's still going to be more, you know, learning and developing and and, and improving to get where they want to be. But this four-game stretch was the biggest stretch of the season. Uh, they went two and two, which we said was the the you know the the median expectation when you looked at that stretch. Go two and two, and you and you're going to be okay. Do you feel like they are where they need to be in terms of one game left and then conference play starts? I think they're a lot closer to where they need to be than when the the stretch started. I know they. They finished the Cayman Islands. Everything was, for the most part, breezy over there, other than maybe the last eight, nine minutes of the Buffalo game when they got challenged and, and Gary Clark stepped up. But um, I think that, you know, the Xavier game was just such a slap in the face, such a humbling experience. And and really, the, the, the problem there, for the most part, was the defense and rebounding. And that's not Cincinnati basketball. So what they did is, if you look at the next three games, they give up less than 60 a game after giving up 89 and um, and the rebounding is getting better. It's still probably not as good as I heard. I, I think I heard was it LD last night talk about that, or maybe it was Mick at his media no, the day was, before. It but, was LD talking about okay. Trayvon. Yeah. Trayvon and Gary are really the only guys hitting the offensive glass. Yeah. So, but I think the identity is 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 back as far as being a dominant defensive team. And and before the season started the narrative was that this is the best offensive team, or at least the, the most offensive talent that, that Cronin has had in his era. And I think that if you go from the Xavier game, when in the half court, they could not execute to save their lives to the second half stretch, when UCLA started firing in a bunch of threes and the Bearcats fought them off or, or fended that, that run off with offensive execution. So you could see how far they came in, in just a two week stretch. And, that's encouraging. I know that the game last night wasn't quite on par with that. And really, if you look at their offensive numbers, and that's what I was doing before you guys called, and they have a long way to go offensively. Um, but the but again, the encouraging thing that at the end in the second half of the UCLA game, and really most of their points they've come in the half court in that game. So um, they're on the right track. And especially if if you can get a guy like Kyle Washington to be effective, and if it just be more patient with the, with his opportunities. And, and as, uh, you know, Kane broom feels his way in there too, then I think they will be where they need to be, but they're not there yet. But it's, as I said in my article, it's, it's, I, I would call it budding offensive rhythm. Like they, over the course of two weeks, they went from like, this is the worst thing I've ever watched to like, Oh my God, they're like scored six times in a row and, and sealed the deal. Dave, how many nights do you sit at home and do advanced uh, stat- statistical analysis on the AAC? Uh, zero. 
Yeah, zero. <laughs> Dave, what what are your thoughts on this team as they stand one game away from conference play? Uh, um, let's see. I would like Jaron Cumberland to start making shots like he did in the first few games. That would That's be a good start. That would be my starting point. And I think they're ready to play. Like I feel like. They, you know, he struggled against Xavier, struggled against Florida, kind of, you know, he righted the ship a little bit. Two solid games against, you know, teams that are going to be in the hunt to make the NCAA tournament, I would think, unless something crazy happens. Um, I think they're just ready to kind of get into that mode of playing important games. And I like the way that the schedule kind of works out where they've kind of gotten these six games or so once they play tomorrow night in a pretty, you know, tight window, and then they'll have 10 days off where I think you can kind of, you know, refine some things, work on some things, possibly add some new things. But I kind of like where they're going. As I said on the Twitter, after the UCLA game, you are allowed to get better. The season is long. So I know everyone wants to win every game. And like my mom, never, ever let the other team score. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. So I think you. It's nice, it was nice to see that they played some stiff competition, had some adversity, and looks like they've kind of come out of the other, on the other side of that. And they can start building on that for the next two months of the season. Yeah, and I, you mentioned something interesting with the 10 days off. Those are uh, um, an anom- or a, a, a different type of 10 days off because it's 10 days off with no school. So there's no 20-hour restriction. There's no limitation on how often Mick has them in the gym. And I think you might see a little, you know, a couple two-a-days tossed in there and uh, a big push to get these guys dialed in when uh, – the the vaunted Memphis Tigers come in on New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that that's going to be a nice break. I know he wanted the kids to be able to go home for the holiday. That's what he said before the game last night. So that they they did the best they could to get everything done by the twenty first and give him a little break. And they, I think they've earned it after this past stretch. Seems like he needs a break too, as he, he's a little under the weather. But um, yeah, the other thing and and. and you know, talking about Cumberland, um, I mean, he really his efficiency has, has dropped quite a bit. And it's it's the two point shots. His, his three point percentage is about the same that it was last year, but he just is not getting as many easy looks from two. And and he was he was up around 65 percent from two last year. And now he's under 44 percent. So his offensive rating on Ken Palm, that was like one of the highest on the team last year. He's actually under 100. And, um, he's the only, there's only, you know, there's only two rotation players under 100 and it's him and Keith Williams. And I, I mean, Sasemi's he doesn't really count, but everybody else is over a hundred. So Cumberland has been one of the least efficient and, um, you know, Chad, what, what have you seen from him since the early going I, the, the UCLA game? He ended up with 10 points and five assists. So he was, and he made some big shots, but, um, you know, how would you assess where he is? My curiosity Chad, hold, with him. Hold, hold on, let me let me ask the both of you this because how much yeah. of that do you just think 
is him being fully on the scouting report now. Yeah. Some. Yeah. I think it's some. I also wonder how much is he's changed his shot mechanics. And if you look, you know, the ball used to be over on his left ear when he would shoot it. And now it's more towards the center of his face. And um, it's something that he makes regularly in practice. I think it could just be adjusting to live game action, getting that that shooting rhythm with the new with, you know, changed uh, release point. And how much is he just getting comfortable with that at game speed? And, you know, something like that takes a little bit of time. So um, it's not something I'm overly worried about. Uh, I think he'll get in the groove as this thing gets going on. We're starting to see him be a little bit more uh, over these past three games. Instead of just bowling straight to the rim, he's kind of got that sideways move that he's worked in now where he's getting it up and finishing off the glass uh, and finishing a little bit differently instead of just – you know, straight line bully his way uh, to anything he wants that picked him up a lot of charge calls. Um, so I think he's going to figure it out. I think it's just a, it's one of those things. And not only being on the scouting report, Dave, but now being a starter and having those expectations and living up to what is expected of you. Well, it's but, He's got to play a different game this year, I think, than yeah. he played last year. He could come in last year off the bench and kind of, for better or worse, just come in and gun. Yeah. And if it, and if it wasn't, if he missed some shots or whatever, it wasn't his night, it wasn't a big deal because he wasn't being required to play 25 minutes and yeah. score 12 points. Now he is. And, you know... For as much as we talked about this team, hyped this team, we're excited about this team, there's still a lot of pieces that are either brand new or in different roles than they were last year, and sometimes that takes a little bit of time. Well, I'll I'll just add this friendly reminder. Two and a half weeks ago, everybody was ready to uh, send Kane Broom back to Sacred Heart. A week and a half ago... Everybody was ready to tell Kyle Washington to graduate and get the hell off the team. And since then, both of those guys have started to figure it out. And I think as this thing continues to progress, Cumberland will do the same. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you watch him, when he takes the right shots like he did against UCLA, he's going to be much more efficient. And in other games, he's forced some stuff. He's driven into traffic. He's gotten his shot blocked. He's forced some quick jumpers with a hand in his face. He's just, it seems like he's trying to do too much sometimes. So when he takes what's available to him and he doesn't force it, unless the game come to him, he'll be fine. And he's doing stuff and, you know, he's get, he still gets assists and, and it doesn't seem like he's let his def, his his offensive struggles affect his defense very much. I I, I was isolating in, on him um, in the Mississippi State game, and and he was moving his feet. He was he was doing what he needed to do on that end. So, yeah, I think just just take what's there and don't try to force it, and you should be fine. I concur. All right, With, gentlemen. Uh, well, I got one got? more. Okay. We are now pretty much, you know, after Christmas, we're getting we're going to start AAC play. What is your overall take? of the league from the non-conference 
portion of the schedule comparative to what you were expecting from the teams going into the season? Any surprises on the good, bad side, or is it kind of shaking up the way you thought? A couple losses that shouldn't have happened, especially looking at you, Temple and Houston. But they've also picked up a couple nice wins. Um, I think the league has definitely positioned itself better than it had a year ago. Um, I think you see a lot more teams closer to 100. Uh, last year where there were a lot of teams, there were a couple teams at 50, and then everybody else seemed like they were like 150 to 200. Um, I think it's, it's especially with the way the team sheets have changed, I think the league has done enough to be able to help the teams at the top better than they did last year. Right. I still think. Yeah, if I remember remember correctly, I tweeted it out the other day. I think seven teams are inside the top 100, and UConn was at like 102. Yeah, that's a huge shift from where we were. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're still going to. December, last Christmas. East, East Carolina and UCF were in the high 280s, but then it was like. Memphis at 155, Tulane at 143, Tulsa was 113, and then UConn you mean was USF. You mean USF was the USF, low, right? yeah. yeah okay. And everybody else was in the top 100 then. Yeah. Well, the key, I think a big key is um, Central Florida gets a win at Alabama. Was that before Taylor came back, or was he back for that game? I, I, I should know that. He wasn't back. Yeah, I didn't think he was. He's still not back. Yeah, okay, so there you go. So, because so, last year when he went out, they, they lost some games, and – and they, they had a couple opportunities in that stretch, and they weren't able to get anything done. But I think that they've shown that they can play well without him. And when he comes back, if they look solid and they still play that, that good defense, then they'll have a shot. They'll have a real shot. So you're looking at four or five teams right now that as long as they don't have bad losses in conference play, they should be good. The other, the other thing that is, is interesting is like a team like Tulane. I mean, you know, that's going to be a tough road game. Uh, Dunleavy in his second year, they, they can score now. They figured out their rotation. They have a little talent down there. They have some veterans. So there, there's certain games last year that were gimmies that are going to be much tougher this season. So it, it should be pretty challenging. And and really, you only have East Carolina and, and South Florida as the, you know, the bottom feeders at this point. It, what's well, going to be interesting to me, Dave? That's the reason why I was like the whole Wichita State thing. That's exactly, like, exactly. Laughing my ass off at, is Wichita State the best team in the country articles? And, and like, no, you're not the best team in the country if you get blo- your doors blown off by Oklahoma at, at home and you pretty much have a tight game against Arkansas State. And now instead of going to Missouri State and whatever other schools you're going to on back-to-backs, you're going to Houston and SMU. Like, yeah. Well, they haven't had their their best players been out for the whole this whole part of the season. McDuffie, but, so. but Berg, that, that that also counts. You've got to incorporate McDuffie back into a team that's been playing for two months. Well, I know, but I'm just saying that if if they're looking at them as one of the best teams, you know, in the, in the country, they're they're figuring that when he's back, that they're still going to be one of the best. That I guess that's the they were pretty good without him, but not as good as they could be when you take away a you know, 15, 20 point scorer that's six foot five. No, they, but, and I'm not saying they're terrible, but like, are, are we, are we to say they're like leaps and bounds better than you see? Oh no, no. 
But I, I think that's the whole point, yeah. Justin, is that yeah. that le- they they get they're getting a lot of judgment based on last year. When at this time last year they were going into an 18-game stretch where it was really only possible for them to lose twice. And right. now they're going to have 10 games out of these next 18 games when in conference play. They're going to have 10 games where if they don't play well, or even in a couple of them, if they do play well, they can lose. And that is a big, big, big difference for that program that we don't know what their answer is going to be this season. And McDuffie right. started practice. He should be back soon. It definitely gives them some more punch. It, it gives them – Larry Shamit's their best player. Yeah, Landry. No, it, his name – on this podcast, his name is Larry. Okay. We've been over this. Oh, all right. That This is part <laughs> of their freshman initiation into the American Conference. His name is Larry right. on this podcast. Larry <laughs> Shamit is their best player. McDuffie gives them some more offensive punch, but but that's a team that has offensive punch already. So they're you know even in the games that they haven't played well, they're still scoring a bunch of points. Like he doesn't change that much on that side of things, I don't think. So what the, they score eighty and instead they're going to score 83, 85? because yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, he, I mean I, that, I, yeah. I I I'm still I still really like them. Right. But I still need to see what goes on with them in a situation where more than half of their conference games are up for grabs instead of just a walkover. That, right. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah, and they and they seem to score easier than you see, but I don't I don't think they have as good a defense. So we'll. I mean, when those two when these two two teams square off, then obviously we'll see at that point. But yeah, I think they you know last year they didn't beat anybody. Of, of any relevance in the non-conference, they had a chance at Louisville and Michigan State and Oklahoma State, and they lost all those. They won at Oklahoma. So that's really all they did. And I think they I, lost to Illinois State on the road. And that was, so they, they didn't, yeah. Saying that they didn't, they haven't beaten a ranked team since like 2015. Could be right. What? I think you're right. Because they lost in their, maybe no, in they, the they beat Baylor. Maybe, they beat maybe Baylor. In like the tournament. Baylor oh. this year. Other than that, I think was what oh, they were okay. saying. With oh, I see. the article was kind of like we're still not sure exactly what they are because you know they don't get a lot of opportunities in their previous conference to play highly yeah. ranked teams, and up, except for that Baylor game, it had been like two years since they had well, beaten one. Well, we'll get a good look. We'll get mid January the seventeenth. They have SMU at home. Then they go at Houston. Then they have UCF at home. So that's a three game stretch. Their first five games are not that tough other than they have Houston, but it's at home. So we'll, we'll see late January what they have. And then we'll see in February what Cincinnati has because that's they have a really tough February on their slate. Um, I think the the UCF game on the road is is probably the only game that um, is is really worrisome in the – well, I guess you got Temple too in the early – in the January, but most of their tough teams are at home, so – but yeah, Wichita, we'll see in January, man. I mean, they, they're going to have their hands full with those three games. No doubt. It's about to get interesting. I, I, we will probably, what do you think, Berg, do a, a full AAC uh, look ahead next week as we get ready yeah. for conference play? Yeah, give me some time to to get all, all my ducks in a row on that. 
I was just I, my, all I have is Cleveland State in my head. Breakdown? Cleveland Cleveland State was was my focus today. I just like the just like the Bearcats. You got to just the next game on the schedule. You know, you got to, you know. I, but I got to be the advanced scout too. Like who, Chad, who are those <laughs> who are those other guys on the staff other than Yunkovsky that do all like the uh, Berger and Berger who, and and TJ. Who's who's yeah? Who's the other guy? Shh, TJ. Who's that? Uh, TJ's the guy that's always with Berger. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I never, I, I never met those two, but I, I know Greg, but I know they look like four or five games ahead. So I got to do that. And Parker. I still got to, still got to focus on Cleveland state, you know, Tyree Appleby tomorrow night. One game at a time. Yeah. <laughs> One game at a time. Dave, you, do you want in next week for the, uh, the, the conference preview or is that too much AAC for you? Yeah, I'll pass. I'll let you guys handle that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, this was a jam-packed episode. We had Josh Wiley and Malik Van to kick it off, Shane Kinney, Dave Simone, Justin Berg, myself, like uh, the the whole BCJ crew, uh, along with a couple special guests, uh, rocked this one out. So thanks to everybody for listening. We went a little longer than expected, but it's a special episode. So when you get a special episode, it goes a little longer than expected, and, and you know, thanks for listening. Thanks to Dave. Thanks to Shane. Thanks to Berg. Thanks to Josh and Malik. Congratulations to them on their big day signing with the Bearcats. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.